Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. How about that, folks? I'll bet everybody recognizes that voice. Well, <laughs> this voice, mine, is George Armistead, and this is Life List, a birding podcast. I am here with my co host, Alvaro Jaramillo, and our special guest today, a voice that scarcely needs an introduction. Greg Neese from the American Birding Association. Greg, Al, how are you guys doing today? Hey, good. Very good. Very good. Very happy to be here. Nice. Yes. Fall is underway. Fall is happening. Birds are migrating. Yeah. Here in the Great Lakes, I mean, it, it is full on the best time to be birding in the fall. And this is, this is my, I, I love spring migration, but really I like fall in a lot of ways better because it's not so fast, you know, birds tend to linger and you, you, you spend more time with them, I think. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. So yeah, fall, fall, fall is definitely here. Yeah. High time, high time the way I got it figured. Yeah. You know, I think, I think a lot of birders who are kind of in the, I don't know, experienced birder, um, sector like fall, more than they like spring. They like spring as sort of like uh, like eating candy. It's it's really nice, and <laughs> you do it every good. so often. Yeah. But that's uh, a good fall, analogy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fall is like you know a really great, well done meal. Yes, that, that, that <laughs> is, boy, that's that is sharp, Al. Yeah, I like that it is, a lot. Boy, that's I'm, you're exceeding Woo. my expectations here, Al Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes you know, every now and then, <laughs> something will come out of this mouth that is. I know. Of value. I mean, you know, we're like a full three minutes in and you haven't mentioned boat or storm petrol yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. Don't you but, worry. <laughs> or pizza. Yeah. Or pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we do, Greg, before before yes. we do, I think we should give you a proper introduction. It's just, oh, yes. I feel I feel like a lot of folks will know you through your work. Right, now you're going to make me blush. No, oh, of ahead. course. I, that's, that's part of the plan. <laughs> Uh, I love that on the ABA website, your title is one word, Webzar. Webzar. You're kind of the uh, the master behind the scenes and in front of the scenes to to a degree as well at the American Birding Association, based in Chicago, birding since the age of 13, and a serious serious birder for a long time. Uh, spent a lot of time in the Lincoln Park Zoo working there and I think volunteering even, right? Before you started working there, you've mm-hmm. done a lot of photography and works worked for different magazines and newspapers over the years um, in, and worked with the Rainforest Conservation Fund uh, for quite a while. Now, And now how long, Greg, have you been at the American Birding Association? Well, You'll remember, George, that you and I started there on the same day. I do. In twenty, uh, it was what was it? Twenty eleven. It was twenty eleven. It was it was April of twenty eleven. April of twenty eleven. The yeah. Elenia. That's right. Um, yeah. So it was yeah. April of twenty eleven. I had never met George, and we met standing in line to get on the plane at Midway Airport, going yep. to our first staff meeting in Colorado. Yes. That's right. And I remember looking over and I was like, I think that's a guy, Greg Neese, that, that uh, got Well, and I said the same thing. I'm like, well, we kind of knew that we were going to be in line for the same plane. So I was yeah. kind of looking for you, but. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then I think we met maybe on the plane or maybe just before we got on or right just before we got on. Just before we got on, we got yeah. seats together, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because, of course, it was Southwest Airlines. Yes, that's right. Southwest, boy, yeah. Yeah, and and then, yeah, very soon thereafter, we're in Colorado Springs for like a day yeah. or something, right? And and all hell broke loose in, in Chicago with that fly catch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was one of the most frustrating days of my life. And not only because the bird, I mean, an absolutely stunning <laughs> bird um, showed up. That was the, the first, uh, would it be first North American record of yeah. short build Delaney? I guess it was. Yeah, small build Delaney. Um, yeah. Or uh, small build Delaney, sorry. Yeah. Um, and uh, showed up in a city park in Chicago. And it was the first picture of it was posted on the Illinois Birders Forum. And young Nathan Goldberg, uh, at the same time that you and I were looking at it, I looked at the picture. We're sitting at dinner. And I looked at the picture, and I'm like, I held up my phone, and I showed it to George. And I'm like, what do you think that is? And he's like, that looks like an Elaney. And I'm like, yeah, that looks like an Elaney. And then Nathan Goldberg posts, that's an Elania. And then all hell broke loose because you remember that was the the <laughs> Illinois Birders Forum days when the when IBF was the most heavily trafficked birding website in the United States, mm -hmm. and my hosting company shut me down because of all the traffic over <gasps> that one bird. <gasps> wow! And I remember being driving around in the mountains trying to get a signal, calling my hosting company, please. I'll pay whatever. Just don't shut me down. <laughs> don't you understand? It's a small bill to <laughs> and, and it was, it was originally uh, identified as a lease flycatcher with reservations, right? It's like, That's this right. is a Correct. really weird looking lease flycatcher or something. Correct. So they, they knew in the field that there was something wrong, Yeah, it was but correct. they didn't know and what to call it essentially. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you and know, it was the, the kids, uh, right? It was the, it's the, it was, it was the, the kids. Birders. It was the, yeah. the Gyllenhaal, the yeah. Gyllenhaal yeah. brothers. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're not and, kids now. Um, they're full grown adults. No, they are most days. certainly not. I mean, the, <laughs> they're, <laughs> I'm not going to say a word, but yeah, they are definitely not kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, the, to, to bring that story to a close, uh, a couple of years ago, I got the second one in Chicago. And uh, managed to pick that one up. That was in December. Well, actually, north of Chicago, but close enough. And I remember the discussions were, you know, heated. They, they were heated and yeah, and and you know? kind of cutting edge. We were yeah. trying to figure things out on the fly from other parts of the the country. And yeah, and I came down on the. I remember it was like you know the one that's expected is white. Chilean white crestalania, but I right. actually think this is a small beltalania. I remember that at yeah. the end, you know. And no, I will, I will give you, I will give you props, credit where due. You were the first one to call that correctly as a small beltalania, and there was a lot of argument that went yeah. on for a long yeah. time. And what's interesting is that bird stuck around for so long; it was there for a week. What? Yeah, it was there wow. for a week. And there's thousands of photographs, like point blank, in your face, frame filling photographs of it. Um, and with all those photographs, you put them together as a as a conglomeration, if you will, and look at them and compare them to photos of Chilean white crested and small build, and it's obviously small build. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
But in that time, it was no. It was it was too earth shattering. Was very obvious. It was, it was too yeah. mind blowing. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, there was one. There was one record of an Elenia, a white crested from Texas, and then the Caribbean species in Florida, which yeah, is a, right. a different thing. Yeah, and, and since then, and there's were, been what, like four more small Elenias or something. Ah, uh, one in California, one in Canada, one another one in the Chicago area, and one, one in Montana. Montana or something. And then there's an, I think there's five total. There's an, I think there's did you five. say the Atlantic Canada one? There's like an Atlantic Canada one that was banded, I believe. I think that's the one from Ontario. I, I didn't think it was that far East, but okay. I may Maybe. be wrong. Yeah. I can't remember. It, it may have been, it may have been Western Quebec. I'm not, I, I'm not that sure. That sounds off the top right of my to head. me, but that, that, but I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 Um, that was. So anyways, yeah, that was the story of my meeting George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember sitting there looking at that picture with you, and and it was the first time I met Nate Swick, and and we were sitting there, and and like I was like, man, this, I was like, if I had to guess, a small build or a white crested, not sure which, and then like the all the discussions started to churn, and and I think did it still never ended up as, as that particular bird was never ended up being accepted as small build. Uh, it was okay. It did. It, it was, was it was accepted. It, well, you know, one of the, one of the great things of about, ago, right? okay. uh, yeah, it took a long time, but one of the great things about the Illinois, um, uh, records committee is that we have Doug Stotts, one of the authors of birds of Peru yes. on the committee. Really um, perfect. and, and he, uh, as well as Alvaro and, and yeah. a bunch of other birders yeah. it was small were able to chime in on this board. And then IORC accepted that as a, uh, as a small build and then ABA committee, Re-examined that bird and agreed. Nice. So that wrong cool. was righted. That wrong was righted. Nice. Along with the hooded crane. <laughs> <laughs> it's bound to happen eventually. <laughs> Which I also saw. <laughs> it it is a good lesson in the fact that vagrants. Uh, often people say, "Oh, these vagrants and all this stuff." And who cares? It doesn't matter. But there are a lot of things to be learned from vagrancy. And sometimes some of the top-level ID learning happens when some weird bird shows up where it shouldn't be. And then people are like, well, how do we know it is A versus B, right? Then you really yep. got to look at it. Yeah. Then you got to really look at it and figure it out, you know. And, and you know, it's, it, it's the, the field guide model. And this is something that I deal with because of what I do for a living and part of my daily life, you know, the field guide model of, examining a bird and portraying a bird species versus the photo the, the photographic models which is you know Sibley does an incredible job of illustrating what that species looks like the the range of individuals the gestalt you know all of it he does an amazing job at that but then like you start looking at pictures, like I've got a new bird or friend of mine um, here, Tom, who's sending me pictures of birds he's photographing, like in his afternoon walk, black pole warblers, you know, common birds. And you look at these things, I'm like, a, oh boy, I can see how that just throws off even like intermediate birders because they're so ratty and they don't look like the field guide. And so then you get a vagrant that's worn and everything else. And it's like, makes it that much harder because yeah. the stakes are that much higher. Yeah. Hey, this, this brings up the whole, another thing uh, related to the ABA is your site, the uh, Facebook site. What's, is it called What's This Bird? What's this or? Bird. Yes. Yeah, yeah what's, what's This Bird? Which is one of the and coolest things the ABA, I think, has done in recent years. Like that's, that thing has generated yeah, an incredible you. number of, of cool records, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, you know, and that's something. Strikes again. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's, that's you know, that's like kind of where I was going day. with when, Al, when you started talking about vagrants, this is a discussion that we have a lot. Are there more vagrants or are there more people taking pictures of birds? I think the answer is absolutely there are more people taking pictures of oh, birds. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's even a question anymore. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, so never been really, what, what is the, the best uh, rare bird that has been spotted on what's this bird? Do you remember? Depends on how you qualify that. I, th- I think the, um, there was a sharp-tailed sandpiper that was the first record for Michigan. Oh, wow. Um, there have been, oh, boy. That's the one that sticks out. You know, we did an article in birding. I wish I knew you were going to ask me that question. I would have looked it up. Um, we did an article in birding about that. Um, it's the litany of good birds that's come out of what? Not so long ago. But, yeah, it's th- there have been a lot, most of them at the state level. Um, I can't really think of any that are at the ABA level. But there have been things like, you know, like brown boobies and things like that. Like, hey, I was out at my dock on my little lake and there's this bird sitting there. What is it? Yeah, what is it? In Minnesota. It's a brown yeah. boobie. Or wherever it was. By the way, yeah. did you guys did you guys hear you probably did that the the Pennsylvania yes. great uh, American flamingo. Um yeah, Greg, I'm sure you would have heard. I don't know if you would have heard Al, but there's some birders checking out the American flamingo in Franklin County, Pennsylvania. I think it was yesterday morning. Um and they're sitting there you know, inland, inland Pennsylvania, which is all inland, but like way, you know, western central Pennsylvania, this Franklin County American flamingo, and they're sitting there and an adult brown booby flies over them. Like, if you had told me 20 years ago that somebody was going to be looking at an American flamingo in Franklin County and that a brown booby was going to fly over it, I would have said you were mad. It's like, no way. Yeah. No way. Um. Although it does remind me, it does remind me, speaking of those kinds of events, because, okay, I think personally, I I don't use unprecedented when it comes to vagrant birds, because you can shoot fast and loose with that, and we use it way too much. But the flamingo thing, that's really unprecedented. (laughs) In my lifetime, and as far as I know, something like that has never happened. Um, But... It reminded me, what you just said reminded me of, I think it was in the 80s, late 80s, um, Andy Sigler and Bob Hughes were driving up Lakeshore Drive in Chicago on their way to go for a phenopepla in Milwaukee when a gannet flew over their car. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I saw that. In Ontario, just the other day, a Manx Shearwater went by uh, Hamilton, Ontario. This weird stuff happening that I don't know. Yeah. I'm not quite understanding if any of it's connected. Like, what? what's this brown booby doing out there? Was that just random? I think it's just um, random. It, I mean, at this point, yeah. those things basically can show up anywhere, almost any time. Like, yeah. Like, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I saw a, t- a photo of some guy went up, I think it was in Oklahoma or Kansas or something. Some guy's working on a windmill, goes up to the top, opens the little door, sees this bird sitting on one of the, you know, the motionless blades of the windmill, takes a phone photo, and it's a brown booby, you know, like hundreds hmm. of miles inland. Just like those things, 
It's just I, what's happened there is remarkable. It's crazy. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, everything from Elenia's to boobies, birds are expansionary. That's what they do. I mean, that's why they dominate the planet more than any other group of animals. I mean, even to a certain degree, insects and things. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're at the poles. They're, <laughs> and they're, they're all over the place. Yeah, with climate change, everything's changing around us, and there's more and, people looking than ever before, and, they, and there's digital photography. So it's like, yeah, there's a lot. The way they move, the way they move across the planet, you know, I mean, just thinking about common birds like golden plovers. You know, I'm looking at, I've been watching that uh, Jeff Wells on Twitter has been tracking, um, I forget what the organization is that's doing it, tracking American golden plovers outfitted with uh, transmitters on the north coast of Alaska. And they're flying along the north shore of the Arctic Ocean to the Atlantic um, and then down over the, out over the Pacific to get to South America. And first of all, first thing I thought is, okay, well, that's how the East Coast gets all their Pacific golden plovers. And then I, I have to imagine that those birds, when they're coming back up, they come up through the central part of the United States because in March and April, we just get boatloads of them in Illinois, and we don't really see that in the fall. Right, the Americans, American yeah. golden plovers, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what, yeah, American golden plover, yeah. Yeah, we have yet to find a Pacific here, although I had one that was pretty interesting. So, Greg, just before we um, – I think we should, there's a couple, we got some other stuff we want to chat about. But for folks that might be interested in what's this bird, that's a Facebook group that is run by the ABA. If they want, like you guys do some what's this bird live, uh, which I suspect our, some of our listeners might really get a kick out of. Maybe you can tell folks about how they can find that and, and participate. Sure. Just go to aba.org slash live um, and all the past episodes are there. Uh, it's an hour long show uh, that Nate Swick and I, um, we pull interesting pictures for whatever reason we might think they're interesting. Um, usually about eight to a dozen of them. And then we discuss the identification, uh, and, and I'll throw together some comparison pictures to show like last time, you know, we were talking about thrushes and comparing gray cheek to Vera to Swainson's and all of that and kind of get in the weeds. And usually once or twice, I try to find a bird that I think Nate and I are not going to agree on because that just makes it all that more saucy and interesting. Um, And uh, also, if you want to get notice of those um, at the bottom of every page in the footer of our website, sign up for the flight calls newsletter and um, you can actually all of our newsletters. Yeah. And uh, you'll get uh, you'll get notice the morning of uh, when we do it, as well as advance notice uh, beforehand. Nice. Uh, one more note on the flamingos too, Al. You and I had been talking about um, when we were on with Molly, and apparently, Al, they did. I don't know if you saw Jeff Bouton, uh, who you know we had on the show just a, a couple weeks ago, but he posted that they had, um, you know, like twenty states now, I guess, have had flamingos, and that I think they have put transmitters on several. I, I don't know if it's two or five or what. Um, so it'll be very, very interesting to see yeah. what happens with those birds. Um, and I think the, the, the coastal ones, you figure they've got a little bit more of a shot of getting where they need to be. Who knows? It'd be wonderful if they were able to, you to know, that's put a transmitters question that's, on any of the inland ones. I don't know if they were able to do that, but may, some of those were banded, I think, too. So maybe that'll help. You know, having worked in a zoo for a long time, 
Um, flamingos, despite how they look, are ridiculously hardy. I mean, they, you know, none of these birds, are, it's, it's very different from like when tube noses get tossed into lakes and, and inland, you know, most of them, I think die. They just, th- there's no food that they know how to eat. Right. But flamingos, if they don't freeze, um, they can, they can survive and they can find food. And I mean, you remember that one out West that was, I think it was called uh, pink Floyd that was in the great basin bopping around. I think it was a Chilean or a lesser flamingo escape from a zoo or a collection, but it bopped around the great basin for years. <laughs> and there's, uh, yeah, there's one here now that's been here for over a decade in the Bay area. Oh, in California. Right. Yeah. I would guess right. the, Chilean, and, the Chilean ones are a little more adapted for cold, I would guess. But who knows? I, 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 very, yes, very hardy people. Very hardy people. <laughs> <laughs> and birds. We set them right yeah. up for that, didn't we? We just, we let it, we walked yeah, right We did. Mm-hmm. They're funny too. <laughs> and, and good looking as well. But I, you know, you know, I, I don't think know about as, that. But. I, I really think, I really think this, this, this flamingo story is happening in real time and the what this story has a ways to go and it would not surprise me one little bit if there is a new breeding colony established somewhere in florida well that'd be cool that would be that would be awesome yeah that would just be awesome yeah nice well switching gears a little bit greg one of the things that we wanted to chat with you about because we mentioned it we kind of got into it we we dabbled in it right now a couple like i don't know it was months ago now was fantasy birding fantasy birding (laughs) yes yeah but we and we got a lot of feedback we got a lot of feedback from folks that either were participating or were curious about it um yeah and and i was on a boat trip the other day and uh you know a very experienced birder you know one of the trip leaders he said what is that never heard of it you know and the and somebody else is like well i do it you know i still think that even though like for for the 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 ones who know and and fantasy bird it it becomes a huge part of their life i don't think they realize that the average birder has no idea it exists and uh even even a lot of birders who are experienced have no idea mm-hmm. that it exists, and and I think uh, they they want to know what it is partially, like what it is. Um, uh, how would you describe it? Um, let me see here. I got to get back to you guys because I just popped up my fantasy birding uh, screen so that if you, I could reference it while we were talking. Right, because um, you probably have a ranking there, don't you? I do. I've been doing the um I've been doing the big year. Well, I've done a, a a few games, but I've been doing the ABA big year now for since it started. So I think it's in its third or fourth year, maybe more. Um I'm currently ranked at 31 of 152 people playing that particular game. My uh number of birds seen for the year is 795, but I think I have a couple of provisionals. Actually, no, I've only got one provisional, which is the Golden Crown Warbler currently being seen in uh, South Texas. Um, yesterday, I got the Baikal Teal on St. Paul. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So yeah, how, do get, how do you get these birds? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm, yeah. So, so, so fantasy birding uh, is the brainchild of Matt Smith. Um, and the, the way you play is 
you drop a pin on a map and it draws a, I'm going to have to look here because I can't remember the, the, I think it's a five kilometer circle. Um, it might be 10. Let me see if I can pull up the, uh, it, it's basically a set circle, right? Right. That- yeah. I mean, the, 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 the diameter or the, uh, the, the, the size of the, the circle doesn't matter um, for this conversation, but it, you get a circle that's a set size. And then when people submit eBird checklists, this using the, the eBird, the eBird API, well, whenever they okay. do it, same day, okay. it does it in real time. Okay. Um, so it just accesses through the eBird API, it accesses all these checklists for all the hotspots and, and, and checklists submitted within your circle. And then you get to count everything that's reported within that circle for that day. And you have to place your circle um, before 6.30 in the morning on the day of in the time zone of. So, you know, if you're if you're playing in Hawaii or Alaska or whatever, and you're in Chicago like me, you know, you got a few hours in the morning where you can kind of play with where you're going to drop your drop your circle. Um, and, uh, so, you know, you, 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 uh, um, if, if a total of 150 species are reported within that circle during that day to eBird, you get 150 species. And in the beginning of a, in the beginning of a big year, um, it's fairly easy to rack up a bunch of species, go to South Texas and, um, you know, Warbler Woods and Florida and California and Alaska and a few places. And by May, you know, you can get up 600 without any problem. And then it gets tricky. Um, but just like with a real big year, as Sandy Camito said, the number one rule, chase every rarity. That is going to make, that's going to make the deal. So you got to watch. And you got to watch as many rare bird alerts as you possibly can. Although fantasy birding has, um, uh, what do they call it? An ABA hotline where I think it's code three and up, or maybe it's code four and up um, are reported in real time. And it actually highlights the birds that you need. So it's like you can, and click chase, it'll just drop you right on where that was and you can chase it. So there's some tools built in there um, so that you can, you know, have a, have a little bit of guidance in uh, placing your pins. Um, so can you switch your pin any time or just once a day? Just once a day. And, oh, okay. And so right. your, so, your 795 that you have right now is for the ABA area this year? Correct. And so where it gets tricky, so the way to think of this is, at least from my perspective, it's one thing to know where the birds are, but that's not going to get you any birds. You got to know where the birders are going to be because there's got to be somebody there to record it into eBird. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times, like I spent five days trying to get California condor at Pinnacles and, and, and actually and more than that Pinnacles and, and, uh, and in Arizona, Nobody just there. sitting there waiting, waiting for somebody to submit an eBird checklist. And it took all, <laughs> it took five days. Um, so that's the kind of thing where, you know, and then in the fall, like right now, it's like, okay, do you play Gamble or do you play St. Paul? 
Right. And <laughs> or, or even some or something like Cape Cod or something if there's some been a one day wonder of something crazy, right? Like Yeah, yeah. I mean it's, you know, um so and then, you know, places like uh Hawaii um get really tricky because now you've got to in order to 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 win or or you know, get the birds, you've got to pay attention to the tour group schedules. And you've got to really pay attention to pelagic trip schedules. Um, did hey did I thought that there was a searcher trip going um, on? Week. Yeah, there, there was, was one last week on the tenth. Um, but and, and I'm, I'm I'm queuing up an example here of how you can get messed up. Um, I'm just waiting for my calendar to load here on uh, fantasy. Yeah, the Birding. searcher. Yeah, that's a five day trip for those of you who don't know. Get going right. to San Diego that does this, you know, big offshore Southern California trip. Trip once a year. Uh, not very many people because uh, you know it's a, it's a you know a boat that can only take about twenty or so, I think. But it yeah. did go last last uh, week. I do know that. Actually, uh, it was early this week. It was the tenth. Um, must be a different one, right? Or no, there's only one. Oh, there's only one per year. Okay, I thought. Well, that. I mean. Well, and maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm still waiting on birds because I thought that trip went the fourth through the seventh. They're they're back. I know they're back because I know yeah. people on there. And Chris if Sloan you was if on you ABA was on. If you look at if you look at the eBird checklist, there's checklists from the tenth that say they were on the searcher. So I'm not sure if that trip got pushed because of weather or something else or whatever. But that's one of the pitfalls. Is you know you you go through and you 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 drop your pins where you think these boats are going to be and in the case of pelagics, um, you get two circles. I think you get one that's fifty kilometers and then a second one that's a hundred kilometers, and it automatically grabs anything within the fifty kilometer circle because boats move around. But there are pelagic hotspots, so you want to make sure you get the pelagic hotspots in your circle. But then we don't use those. You can. <laughs> I was just going to ask can, you, Alvaro. But just gonna, then you can yeah. manually. So if if you know that there was a checklist submitted within your circle that didn't show up, you can enter the eBird checklist number, and it'll parse it, and uh, you know it'll check it and see if there's any birds in there that you missed, and it'll put them on your list. So that extra fifty kilometers you get to do that. So if somebody like Alvaro, you know, doesn't want to use the, the hotspot, he goes 25 miles away or 50 miles away or whatever. If it's still within your circle, You'll you can, it. you can still get that checklist after the fact. What's the, and for the entire year, you can go back and recheck any day because sometimes people sit, I've had that happen so many times where you go back and you, you click recheck, recheck, recheck. And I, whoop, I just got a new bird from like six months ago. Because somebody oh. stuck on it. A lot of people won't submit checklists until they have photos. So they sit on it until they go home and they t- you know, process their photos and upload their photos. What's Al, uh, your pelagics, what's the, what's of the routine trips you do? What's the furthest, most mileage that you, that you do and how far is it? From shore, pr- yeah. probably about 30 miles Okay, from shore. Yeah. yeah. Um, now but great. it's, but it, it, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It can be very frustrating. Um, but in a good way, uh, I think, but I'll tell you the number one things that I've taken away from fantasy birding, and this is something I didn't expect is I know more about 
the status and distribution of birds in the ABA area as a result of playing this now for mm-hmm. three or four years, then I, I mean, I have learned so much. Like I know all the hotspots in Hawaii, like I've been there and <laughs> that's cool. Um, you know, it, it's like, I, I can just, I can pull up a map and tell you exactly you where to get us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can tell you exactly where to get the sand grouse and where to get the laughing thrush and all of that. Um, Greater necklace laughing and, thrush. That's, that's exactly. one of the trickiest ABA birds probably. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, and I understand the difference in the, the, the populations and, and um, uh, the, the status and distribution of birds in the Huachucas versus the Chiricahuas just from chasing these birds on, on fantasy birding. Um, I, so th- that, that was a really unexpected bonus. I, I was going to ask, like as a devil's advocate, like what's, what's the point of all this, right? Cause you know, we are so much into birding outside real birding, but that's a great point you make that you, in a sense, it's a low, you can be low commitment, you know, click your, your, your spot every day and see what happens or, or you can do a little bit more and learn more. But it doesn't mean you can't go birding, birding, you know, outside either. It's not like oh, one no, or the no, other. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I spend maybe ten minutes every couple of days uh-huh. dealing with fantasy birding. Well, I mean, because you know, you've you've got a strategy. You know, I know where I'm going to be. I know the birds now that are going to be tough that aren't necessarily rare, but they're hard, like Connecticut warbler and. You know, but if you know, just pin the Chicago lakefront the third week in May and just watch, you're going to get one. Um, so you learn those kinds of things. Um, but the trick and and the people who really excel, the people who win every year are the people who, and this is, I, I, I haven't had time. I'm going to try it for next year is they, they create a spreadsheet of all the pelagic trips, all the tours. So they know where the chicken trips are going. And those are the, the, the tours that go looking for grouse, um, chicken runs. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. The chicken yeah. runs in the West, um, the tours to Hawaii, um, all the pelagic trips and any other tours. And they put those all in a spreadsheet and pin those ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And, hmm. You can so you just I mean every every tour company has a detailed itinerary of where they're going to be day by day, so you just have to guess it. Now of course they change their itinerary because of weather. You know they make an audible, you're screwed, <laughs> and that's <laughs> happened to me many times. Um, and but the people who are really on the inside, who know like when the researchers are going to be out at Shemya and that kind of stuff in the in the Aleutians. Those are the people that win every time mm-hmm. because they just have access to information that the rest of us don't have. So you're 795. A couple questions. You're 795 in ABA for this year currently. I'd be curious to know who you know who's in the lead, what their number are, and maybe what the all time record is for fantasy birding within the ABA area. And also, I assume other people can do this within their state potentially not just not just yes there's a lot of there's a lot of games i mean i i only i had to pick which game i wanted to to play and and that's the that's the game that i play every year Mm -hmm. um 
right now, the top 10. So my goal is just to get in the top 10. Mm -hmm. I've made it the closest I've gotten, I think was 11 or 15. Um, right now, my buddy Ken Waisaki is at 823. Um, you know, most that there, there are no real names here. Um, but well, there's one Ethan Goodman is in the lead. He's at 834. Uh, Jason Sardell is right behind him at 834. Um, then there's a, a bunch of others whose names I'm not sure because they have names like Falconidae and Limnath Lippis and Guy Incognito. They're all up in the 820s. Yeah. 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 They're all up in the 820s. Gotcha. Um, and Actually, it also tells you. George, huh? didn't you live next to Guy Incognito? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's a true story. True story. I had, I had some neighbors named the, their last name was Incognito, and my parents. Nice. My parents said that were, one night, me and my sister, they were going to the Incognitos for dinner, and we were like, "WTF? Like, you know, why don't you, know, why don't you just tell um, us? You know." Yeah. So yeah, I'm. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm. I'm like uh, thirty. I'm like 40, 40 birds or so behind the leaders. Um, and the leaders are all ticking like 109, 112 rarities. I think rarities are code three and up. Um, where do you, where are you seeing this fantasy birding? In the, on, on the fantasy birding.com. Okay. In the what game, you, uh, in the game leaderboard. So, you know, um, I mean, um, and I'm at, my, uh, let's see, where am I? I'm at 90 rarities right now. Do you win anything? Is there like, uh, you get a fun, you get a fun little badge. Uh-huh. And bragging rights. So there's no it's not like fantasy football where people like put in five bucks and then not yet. And exactly. <laughs> there may be behind there may See, be then, behind the scenes that I don't know about. George might be into this. Well yeah, I know he's 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 got that Jones, man. If it ain't no cash involved, he ain't doing it. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> Everybody knows that. But um, you know, and we've we've also done uh we've also done like local big days, like we did a state of Illinois big day once. Like we picked a day, it was like May 12th or May 15th and had a bunch of people and just, so, you know, you so what the returns were. Yeah. And the big day, the, the way, I mean, the way Matt, the, the, I like doing the big days. And I mean, you guys know, I'm, I'm not to toot my own horn, but I think I've done more big days than just about anybody in the ABA area. Um, and I love doing big days. And um, so you set your, you, you set your day and you have um, you can have unlimited points during the day, but you can only go as far as you can reasonably drive, and so it 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 takes into account the Google Map driving times. So, like, let's say you're doing Illinois, which is almost 400 miles long, and you start in Chicago and you decide to go to Southern Illinois. Well, that's going to eat up five hours out of your 24-hour day. And you have to take that into account um, when you're putting this together. And the the circles are smaller. Um, but, you know, you can have as many circles in a day and they're all chained together. And then if you're smart, um, like the one the one thing I have won was when I was captain of a big day team. And we, we put together a team and we did a, a North American big day. And I forget what we came in at. It was like three i i forget what it was but it, it was a good total of birds but our route went from east to west uh 
for the most part, um, to take advantage of the setting sun because hmm. you have more daylight as you go west. Here's a question. Like, if I mean, I don't know number the numbers of actual true big days in my head. It's not, uh, yeah, but do the fantasy big year, actually big year birders tend to see more than the real big year birders in terms of numerical? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, the let's see here. The so the the current let me pop up listing central here because you just said something like eight hundred and something, right? For the, yeah. For the so ABA the ABA area, area the ABA area year list uh, record is uh, Weigel's John Weigel at eight forty. So yeah, pretty, I mean they're close. right, pretty close. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, twenty sixteen John did eight thirty five. Twenty nineteen he did eight forty. Um, right now, all the leaders uh, are at 835. So, yeah. Okay. So, they'll do better given that they still have several months. Yeah. But you see, now, on, now it's, I mean, all most, I've still got a lot of code two and three birds that I can pick up. So, I mean, looking at my list for the year, um, I've got, uh, let's see, unseen by rarity code, rarity code one. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have nine code one birds I haven't seen. Um, things like greater sage grouse, purple sandpiper, American dipper, Harris's sparrow. These are um, so code one for folks who don't know is like basically a r- routine breeding bird within a resident bird within its range within the United States or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. ABA, right? Yeah, yeah that's ABA that's area. reasonably yeah. that that's expected to be seen. And then code two unseen, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 16, 32. I've got 30 unseen uh, code twos. I forget how those now, differ. Now, some of those. I forget how code twos differ from code ones. Um, it's, it's sort of the difference. It's the difference between um, um, a like, LeConte sparrow and a Baird sparrow, basically. Okay. Um, in terms of how easy it is to see or how hard it is to find it and get to like it. Like black rosy um, finch they, or something. Is that, would that be a code two? Um, I'm not sure. Cause I don't have that in front of me. Um, but um, like the difference between LeConte Thrasher and Sage Thrasher. Who decides um, at the ABA what? The ABA codes. checklist, the ABA checklist committee. Oh, I'm on that. I should have known that. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> second time I've done this on the podcast. Yeah, welcome, welcome to my world, Haramio. Welcome to my world. Um, <laughs> but so you know, I've got thirty-five. I've got like forty birds I can pick up um, if I do it right now. Some of these code twos ain't gonna happen. So like uh, a Kiki, uh, Maui Parrotville, that, yeah, that ain't gonna happen. I, well, that's that's a different conversation. But yeah. other ones, other ones, and gray, gray back turn, I missed that one, so that ain't going to happen. Um, but other ones like dusky grouse, gray partridge, um, nande parakeet, boreal owl, uh, you know, I've still got, I've still got time. Now the guys, you know, the people who have uh, um, like eight thirty five, they've got all those birds. So now it's who's going to get the most rarities. Mm-hmm. And as mm-hmm. Sandy Camito said, it's all about the rarities. 
Right. And how good a year it is and all that. So just for, so reviewing the codes. Exactly. Quick, I just I just pulled those up. Code one and code two says there's these are uh, regular breeding species and visitors. There's no firm designation between one and two, except that logically code one species are more widespread and usually more numerous. Code two have restricted range in the ABA area, but are widespread. Are, are widespread but occur in lower densities. Code three is rare, so that's a species that occurs annually but in low numbers in the ABA area. Code four is casual, which I always thought was a funny word for for you know a status and or, or abundance code. Yeah, but it basically means still really really rare with six or more total records. Um, not recorded annually. And then code five, right, or th- those are the really biggies, right? Five or fewer times yes. ever in the ABA area. Then there is a code six, which a lot of people don't think about, but that's stuff that is extinct or extirpated from the ABA area. Yeah. So those well, are, I those mean, are California condor things. was code six until recently. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know. talking about weird words, have you ever noticed that we, we say a bird is local? Right, you know, or it's you know, local in distribution, yeah. or whatever. But British people say localized. I've seen. And that. I've never yeah. oh. understood. Well, Lati da, you know. Whatever. I don't know, man. That sounds wrong oh to me. Localized. <laughs> you struck a nerve there, Al. Yeah. I don't know. You know that. Uh, you know. You know. There's a, a there's like there's a great there's a great birds. line there's a great line from if you haven't read it, boy, I can't recommend it any more highly. Um, there's a, a easy read by an author named William Least Heat Moon. Um, it's called Blue Highways, and basically his life falls apart, and he jumps in a van. His wife leaves him. He loses his job, and he just has nothing. And he gets in this beat up old van and drives around the United States on the back then in the in the eighties seventies. Uh, the highways on the map, you remember the maps, the, the the local highways were all in blue. So he just drove those blue highways until he ran out of money um, and then wrote a best-selling book about it. But he was in New England and he's talking to somebody in New England and he's trying to pronounce the names of the towns and he's like not getting it at things like, you know, Worcester and stuff like that. And so he points to a map and he goes, how do you pronounce this? And he's pointing at Puget Sound. And that guy goes, Pug it. And then he says, Oh boy, if Niagara Falls was a few hundred miles east, it would be pronounced Niffles. <laughs> uh, yeah, localized. Localized. They also say aluminium over there, you know? Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's a different. That's, that's, that's because they eat too much of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, but actually localized is uh, the more proper word, I believe. I don't know about that. Well, I feel like there's sometimes where it's not one is better or the other. They're both like, you know, there's some words, right? There's examples where they're both equally correct. It's just a matter of preference. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I will, I'll be the first person to say I am not a wordsmith. I can write, but I rely on people like Ted Floyd and Frank Izagiri to make it functional those guys are some just some proper wordsmiths there yeah i just remember like doing the field guide um some of that stuff for the uh the the website and so at field guides and we would get some from the british guides and i would always change that word Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's still to this day i'm like change your spelling of color and humor as well yeah uh yeah, that that, uh, that I'm not worried about, but it was like the localized never made sense to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we get so many great uh, birding terms from the British, like Twitch. Stringer. You know, Stringer was there as Stringer. originally, right? Oh, uh, well, I've, yeah, I didn't know if you were going to go there, but George, you and I, we've talked about Stringers a lot. Yes. There's a, <laughs> a very, very rich topic that I feel like it's it's so negative, but so juicy that I, I do feel like it deserves its own episode at some point. Like really good yeah. Advice. And I, I, you know, it's, uh, um, yeah, I, it's not going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Fantasy birding. Yes. I I think it's interesting that people do it, but I am totally not like nothing nothing in my mind gets um let's say, you know, ooh, I should try this. Like I, I have no like nothing. I mean I get nothing, but some people do, right? Some people get everything from this, right? You know, they're really kind of they like the competition, the whole thing. And what would you say if you had to think about the people who do fantasy birding? Is there any anything that ties them together, competitiveness or being um, interested in distribution or whatever? I mean, I think I know part part of me is because a I don't have very much time usually. B if I'm going to do something, I want to do it outside. Part of birding for me is being outside, you know. And right, I get that. And I do I do most of my fantasy birding in bed at night as I'm getting ready to fall asleep. Yeah. It's like one of the last things I do. Or like if the dog gets me up at 4.30 in the morning and I can't go back to sleep, I'll pop up fantasy birding and just check to make sure nothing was reported overnight that I'm going to have to jump on um, before 6.30. Um, but as far as so, I mean, the, the time commitment, I don't think really is that big of an issue. Once you get at the beginning, it's kind of overwhelming. I'll be a, a, the first to admit that because you just like you got to figure out the way it works. And the strategy, I think, is pretty simple for the big picture. But when you get down to like, OK, I want to be in the top 10. Now the strategy gets interesting. And. The, the I find that fun and interesting, but I'm also a guy who one of the one of the main reasons I did so many big days is because I love strategizing the big day. I like figuring out how to put that route together and and make it all work. Um, it's not about the competition for me so much. Like when one of my big day partners would get furious when we'd be like within five of breaking a record and we just couldn't do it. And he just drove him nuts. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We just had a great, great flipping day of birding and you're angry. (laughs) No, no, that's not the way this works. But some people are like that, but I'm, I, that's not me. I I'm not competitive in that sense. Um, although I will say when, when my two Illinois, big day records were broken last year. Uh, it it did kind of, Oh, I didn't cry, but it, it stuck a knife in oh, me a I little bit. I think you cried. I think you um, cried. <laughs> maybe a little bit. He's maybe crying right bit. now, actually, folks. Yeah, I, I, that's, yeah, we do have video on, don't we? <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, no, but for me, uh, the thing that appeals to me about fantasy birding is the same thing that appeals to me about doing big days is you have to strategize. You have to look ahead. Um, you have to like figure out like, you know, I mean, you, for you guys, 
you guys know all about the chicken trips. You know all about the the, the pelagic trips. I mean, Alvaro, you could, you know, but one of the hardest things to do is pelagics. So you would excel it, at it because um, you could just count your own birds <laughs> for a large <laughs> part. I mean, seriously, yeah. uh, a lot of and a lot of the guides do that. Like, I think the top 10 is is mostly professional guides and oh, they do a lot of, you know, they're, they're out there. They know who's where and what's happening. Um, but so, so that's, that's what I, and then the secondary thing is, like I said, after doing it for a year or two, you really, I mean, I have learned so much and that was the huge unexpected part of this is that, um, you know, I know, I know where the guy's doing, um, uh, surveys of Baird sparrows are in Montana and North Dakota. Like I know where they're, where they're, where they are. And I, you know, I don't know when they're going to do it, but I know where they are. And I didn't know that two years ago. Right. But I mean, I should also clarify my, my issues. <laughs> you, a lot of people know about my issues. Some of them are very obvious. Though. I don't know if we want to go down this road. But, uh, <laughs> abundantly obvious. Yes. Yeah. But, but, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person that if there's a big party going on or some something like that, and you know, and somebody brings out the board games, I'm like, okay, I'm leaving yeah, this room right now. I'm with you on now. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, you I'm and not I, a right. game player, right? So, we are so all we are all simpatico there. I okay. do not do board games. Okay, um, so you don't have having to be said a that, game player. But to having do this. said that, I I do love to play chess occasionally. Right. Um. But no board games like somebody pull a wingspan. I have. I have a copy of Wingspan on the shelf that has still has the cellophane wrap on it. Dude, I I tr- we tried and failed. Like I, I got together, <laughs> I got together my 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 stepdaughter, who's you know she's she's sharp as a tack. We my nephew also extremely smart. Me, me and Kristen, a few other people, we tried. We 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 like took it apart. I couldn't. And everyone I know loves it. They got the, they got you know they had the same the, here. They get together. They have the big parties. Like and I yeah. think it sounds like the key is you got to have someone explain it to you. But I failed miserably. I will well, say, Greg. That, but also you've got to have that mindset about playing board games in the first place. Yeah, and you see, I actually I I generally at a social situation if we're like at a party or something that is not when i want to play board games if it's like me and a friend or two hanging out i would think about it then but or or like family gatherings we you know i'm game i'm game with it then but i do like i i actually was had almost no interest in this prior to us discussing this and i don't think i wouldn't have any interest in doing the aba area personally but i like if it meant i got to dig into the state of pennsylvania or the state of maryland and really and try to do try to do that that i would dig because like that would that would unearth you know nooks and crannies that are nearby that i might actually go to and then be like okay people are getting these birds um, and then maybe I'll go check these spots out. So the state level does appear appeal to me. And I think this is the kind of thing, as you've detailed it, Greg, that I could actually fit into, you know, l- like as you say, the wee hours as you're, as you're waking up, as you're trying to go to bed. Like I enjoy Wordle. You know, I love the New York Times spelling bee. I play the that birdie, a- the birdiegame.net. If people don't know birdiegame.net, that's a pretty fun one, little photo quiz. That uh, and basically, I have a couple friends, and we basically text on these three games every day. You know who's doing what. We see who, who's done well, who hasn't done so well, who's excited, who's frustrated, um, and it's you know that's fun. I enjoy that, and I could easily see including this in that that kind of routine. Yeah, and that you know that it's it's kind of like set it and forget it for twenty four hours. Okay, so you you, sp- you you make you spend a little bit of time thinking about, you know, all of us, our jobs, our lives, we're aware of what birds are being seen. We know this is, you know, 
what we do. So for you and me and Al, that part of it's not too hard. It comes naturally. It's what we do anyways. Um, so it's taking a few minutes every day to check some things, make a play, put your pin, and then forget about it for 24 hours and then come back and see how you did. Um, and then either leave it or make another play. Yeah, you're sort of planting a seed and, and then coming back and seeing seeing how it's grown. Seeing how you did. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and, and, uh, and it's been more fun now since like somebody I see on a regular basis, my friend Ken, um, he started doing it. And now he's up there with me. And so now we've got sort of this thing, eh, um, <laughs> you know, and he's he's beaten me because he's he's one of those guys that will spend an afternoon. He's just better. I think he is. He is just better. He's a lawyer. He's got a better mind than I do. But but he's you know, he's one of these people who will sit down and will spend some time putting everything into a spreadsheet and coming up with a strategy and following that strategy. And I'm when it comes to that, I'm I'm. I'm going to try that this fall and and mm-hmm. try it for next year because I just lose track. I'll start like digging in and looking for all the tours and everything. And then I get distracted. And that's why I like big days because you're just doing it on one day. And I'm like, okay, I'm putting this together. And well, of course a physical big day, I think two thirds of the fun is the scouting. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. The food, like I I don't really enjoy big days as much anymore. But but I, in part because I do. I I basically I was like I just want to go scouting all the time. That's all I right. That's all I really want to do. Called birding. Because yeah, exactly. Scouting, that's what it is. It, it yeah. is. Yeah. It is. But it's but it's birding with a particular purpose. Yeah, you're it's focused. Like, yeah, you're you're focused on specific species. So like you're 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 looking at a route. You know, one of the things when doing a physical big day is you want your birds to be within a 10 minute walk of the car maximum. You know, you don't want to spend an hour walking for, and no, that's, you can't waste that amount of time. So you're like, okay, there's habitat here for Bell's Vireo. There's habit. Let's find the Bell's Vireos. Let's know where all the Bell's Vireos are along this route. Um, And then, you know, to assure that you get one on your big day. And that's the kind of stuff I like is like poking into new places and like, there should be hooded warblers in this woods. Let's see if there are. Mm-hmm. You know, think of time commitment. I, I, I should say that in the end, when I actually assess what I do daily, I do spend a you know a bunch of time looking through Facebook and identifying birds. And you know, I, yeah. I love actually popping my uh, my head into things and going, hey, you know, this is I think this is a this or this is that where people are asking a question. But it's actually yeah. low investment. I do get. A certain amount of just it's fun to commit to an identification and also help somebody along the way. So I mean, and I, I guess somebody would say, "Well, that's just wasting your time." You know, you can no. do something more productive. But um, it's a good exercise for is. the brain, so, and it's and you're helping somebody out, as you no, say. I think. It's, well, you know, it's you're, you're helping somebody out, but here's you know, you, if it's you, all you do, then that might be a problem. But you know, yeah. Like, well, <laughs> like I said, welcome to my world. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the one of the most phenomenal things besides seeing all the new birders like just popping birds pictures of birds up and you know they they, they find so yay a lifer i mean i love it when somebody says yay a lifer i'm like i will buy every single one of you a slice of lifer pie because you deserve it even if it's like your first yellow warbler that deserves it um but identifying still photos especially single photos 
is way harder than identifying a bird in the field. Yeah. And when you do it over and over and over and over, you get better at it. Yeah, and you really do. I have learned things by dealing with all those photos in what's this bird that it's it's added a whole new level of my understanding of basic field identification because I've spent so many hours of my life looking at pictures of birds and trying to, of you know, out of focus, uh, small, whatever, bad exposure, um, and and trying to figure this out because you it forces you to pay attention to the not obvious things. I think the best one was um, maybe a month or so ago, uh, not even a month ago um, on what's this bird live. We had a Philadelphia Vireo that because the, the way the photograph was taken and the way that um, the, the color had shifted and everything, I was convinced it was a female cerulean warbler. Now you think, how could that happen? No, oh, in photos, well, almost anything can happen. It's like you can, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but then it's like it's like one of those, um, like that 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 photo of the, the 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 disposable plates. It's like all of these plates, but one, are upside down. As w- soon as you see the one that's upside down, they're all upside down, and you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And with that Philadelphia Vireo, it's like I was certain that it was a cerulean warbler, but then when it was explained to me how it's a Philadelphia Vireo, I could not unsee it. And I'm like, how the hell did I ever call it a cerulean warbler in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's the kind of learning thing. That's so that's a whole. It is. And, am- and that's, it is amazing what you're like yeah. I, before there was, you know, Google image or eBird or anything. I, I worked at Vireo visual resources for ornithology, the Academy of Natural Sciences, yeah. which used to be the largest collection of photos of, birds on earth and coming like i think they rep i think they repped me for a while yeah yeah they were they were they were they they were uh oh no i was with scientific images sorry 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 okay never mind yeah they got bought up by getty i think vireo got bought up by getty too no vireo was non-profit um it it was uh it's still at the academy of natural sciences but oh is it it, okay yeah but anyway yeah, at any rate, it, it but it, it's like I just remember when when you know for 3 years all I did every day was look at bird images all day long and produce them for people as uh, and and you know try to make identifications of new stuff that was coming in. And I do yeah. remember how how useful that is from an identification standpoint. You just get you get you really do get tuned in and uh, Well, and you see things that you you uh, you know you never paid attention to in the field because yeah. like the, the, just the way the bird moves, like a, like an American red start and you, you see this bird way up in the, you see the bird way up in the top of the tree and you see that little like side to side butt wag of the big fan tail. Even if you don't see the pattern, you see that little wag, you're like, that's a red start. And then you get the second look at it and you get a flash of yellow confirmed. We're done. Right. You know, but then you see that, that one picture, I mean, that's another bird that a uh, female red start has confused. Oh yeah. Um, you know, from the right angle with the, with the, with, you can't see any oh, co- color in the, in the flight feathers, Tennessee, Tennessee warblers, you know, like, I mean, there's so many well, of these things yeah. that can really, that can throw you for big, big loops, depending angle and lighting is exactly can just confound you in a million, million different ways. And oh. and just like you know, kind of kind of circling back to the fantasy birding, how how it has really expanded my knowledge of 
uh, status and distribution, um, doing what's this bird has expanded my knowledge of field identification. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I've been thinking about, um, every so, so often in putting together a little video or some, or maybe even a Facebook posting about kind of feather craft, what I call just the really detailed look at birds, uh, that we seem to sort of like weirdly have, have stepped away from that to some extent, yet we have photographs now that are so good that people are looking at them kind of big picture, which is fine because mm-hmm. that's how you learn most things. But sometimes you got to like drill right into like really detailed stuff and you start seeing things that you've never seen before. Um, whether it's, you know, the um, sparrow tertial patterns or the way that the the pattern is on the Shorebird upper wings. scapulars or, or. Yeah, or the upper wings of uh, storm petrels. Um, and and I just to teach people how to look at these things in a sense because there's some stuff that I see now just after years and years and years like breeding dowagers I see a, a good picture of breeding dowager they're not actually hard to identify they're actually pretty easy but you just have to look at the right feathers right. And look at them specifically with specific patterns in mind and you can identify but. The, the field guides haven't done a good job of separating those out and the articles haven't done a good job. So yeah, it's just I like thinking, oh man, you know, there's so much here that some people might get. Um, and that's you know, a new aspect. Photos. That's a new aspect. I mean, you know, field guides are constantly evolving. And I, I think that, um, um, you know, like for instance, uh, the latest, uh, the latest volume uh, uh, version of the Sibley guide where he added all the, little paintings of uh alcids flying away from the boat like this is the this is the view that you get the little tiny thing flying away from the boat that's that's the view you're gonna get so he did those views of all those in the in the second uh edition um there are things that you can see in a still photograph that you almost Mm -hmm. never see when you're looking at the bird in the field and Mm -hmm. i don't know if you mentioned sparrow tertials on purpose but we discussed that a couple of weeks ago on What's This Bird Live um, because we had a bird that people were torn, swamp or song. Um, I went for swamp. I think that was correct. I think I convinced people that that was correct. Um, a lot of other people thought that was correct as well. Um, but Woody Goss, one of our Chicago birders, um, has been doing these little uh, ID sort of uh, um, focus projects. And one of the things he's focusing on is sparrow tertials. And he's kind of discovered that there is a difference that at least so far holds across all the subspecies as far as we can see. I mean, he's still got a lot of work to do, but the tertial patterns are different, but it's something that you could never see in the field. You'd have to have the bird in the hand or have a good photograph. And there's lots of good photographs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, no, there's there's stuff in there, and, and even and if you extend it to some of the grassland sparrows, like grasshoppers, and so some of them have really distinctive tertial patterns, and you can yep. identify them just from that when they're fresh. Yep, and um, and it's like you say, it's not necessarily useful to you on average, but often you're trying to figure something out that's difficult. You're often taking a lot of birders are taking a picture and then looking right. at their photo, like Jaegers. That's you know a lot of 
field idea of Jaegers now is taking a photograph and then looking at that more carefully. Seabirds. And that's fine. Seabirds right? helps a lot on a, a yeah. bunch of different groups. Yeah. It's a well, new, yeah, I mean, not, new when way you're out on a boat and everything's moving. It's like, <laughs> so yeah. where the, where the, uh, um, uh, you know, where the, where the feathers pointed are more rounded. I have <laughs> yeah. no yeah. idea, but my yeah. photographs got, I could tell. Yeah. yeah, it happens. Yeah. I think there's a bunch of different groups. Like on our Antarctic trip, the prions, right? Like there's a number yep. of yeah. instances there. As, you know, as you see, Jaegers are a perfect example. There's there's a bunch. Yeah. Uh, hey, yeah, sir. before we shoot off, can you let us know about the ABA Community Forum, which is something brand new that I think yes. is cool and interesting? I've been, I've kind of dabbled in there. Yeah, so so ABA members, uh, we have uh, sort of our own um, social media uh, experience f- uh, for ABA members. It's aba.org slash community. Um, if you're familiar with Facebook, you'll be immediately familiar with community. Um, this is an, an ABA member benefit. Uh, and there's a lot of groups, um, things like I'm looking at them right now here. Let's see. There's... Uh, Groups that are active, we've got the American Birding Podcast, Birds in Media and Pop Culture, Backyard Feeder Birds, Rare Bird Alert, Bird Photography. Um, we also have programs and webinars. Um, so we do webinars within community for ABA members. Uh, coming up next week is um, Wild Stories from the History of Bird Migration Research with Rebecca Heisman. Um we have forums, which if you remember the old birders forums, I think the bird forum in the UK is still alive, uh, but the forums operate very much like a discord server. Um, and that is with threaded conversations versus groups where everything's thrown in. And we have rare birds. We have regional and rarity notables for all the states, provinces, but including Mexico and the Caribbean, um, advanced identification, a place to buy, sell, and swap your used gear, um, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, and there's um, there's always some fun discussions happening there. And uh, yeah, we'd love uh, we'd love you to come be a part of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, I think um, it's a really oh, and there's really, and there's a mobile app, and there's a mobile app yeah. for Android and iOS. Yeah, it's a good way to to have uh, communication birding communication without also just random external people popping in. Everybody Bingo. is a member and, uh, and no bots, things. no spammers. Yeah, that's right. Right. Excellent. Yeah. That's uh sounds good to me. Yes. I've been in there. <laughs> ABA is doing a lot well, of good stuff. You got, you guys do thanks, great, man. great work and, uh, and Greg, you Thank have you so a much. long time. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much. I mean, we do, I will say I've, I've worked with a lot of dedicated teams of person, people, I mean, you know, going back to, you know, I was one of the founders of the rainforest conservation fund and uh, I never thought I'd meet a more dedicated group of people than that. And uh, well, I have with the ABA. I mean, it's just a, a wonderful group of people I work with. Now now you got me crying. Look at me. (laughs) He's tearing up. He's tearing up. He's a big softy. Don't let him try to tell you otherwise. (laughs) All right. Well, we got to scoot. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yes. Greg, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure. Can't wait to come back. Yeah. All right. We'll do it again. Take care, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.